Hello, I'm Reverend Patsy Carlberg, a retired elder in the United Methodist Church in the North Alabama Conference. Today, we're going to be talking about the passage from Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. Give a listen as you hear these verses. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I'm honored in the sight of the Lord and God has become my strength. And he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. And thus ends that reading. So, today, we're looking at one of the famous so-called suffering servant scripture passages found in Isaiah. Many have tried to identify the suffering servant. Who, who was Isaiah talking about? Some have said he was talking about the nation of Israel, and this was probably right at the time Isaiah was written. But others have said Isaiah's servant was the Messiah, and that certainly could be true. We Christians do believe that Isaiah's servant refers to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We can see this, I believe, in how the servant is described, suffering for our sake and for the sake of Israel and all of humanity. But today I suggest we consider the suffering servant as the church, the big C church, because there is something in this passage that speaks to us as the body of Christ. I believe this is appropriate in light of recent events in our beloved United Methodist Church and the North Alabama Conference. Unfortunately, we can expand to include the church in general, particularly in our own nation. We decry the decline of the church so we can relate to the servant's lament when he or she, the church, whines, I've tried everything I know to do, and it has all turned out to be for nothing. We as the church feel we've done all we can. And what has been the result? Can you hear the church saying that? Can you believe that the church could be the suffering servant of God, especially now? But let's get some context here. For many chapters and pages of scripture, Isaiah the prophet has been warning the people of Israel that they better shape up or something bad was going to happen. God would lose patience with his people. They were worshiping other gods and they weren't taking care of widows and orphans. They forgot about who they were as God's chosen people and the privilege and the responsibilities all that entails. So guess what? The people of Israel didn't listen to Isaiah and their enemies overtook them and they got shipped off to Babylon. They felt abandoned and hopeless. Ever felt that way? 
Isaiah goes to God and says, you know, you called me to do this and it's been a complete waste of my time. I think I'll go eat worms. And how does God respond to Isaiah when he laments about the fracturing of Israel? Why God says, buck up, little buckaroo. The job of bringing Israel together is a piddly thing, not worth your whining over. What? Now, the Jews believe that God was saying that all the Jews would come back to the promised land and Israel would be restored to its glory days when David was the king. That the Messiah would come riding in on a white horse, smite all their enemies and give them their land back. So don't worry about it. We tend to stop there, too. Oh, okay, everything's going to be fine. No worries. But what God is saying to Isaiah here, I believe, is yes, restoration and reconciliation will happen. But that's not the whole story. That's not the real job. There's more coming. Not only restoration, but also fulfilling the promise that I, Yahweh, made to Abraham all those centuries ago. Genesis 12, 2. I, Yahweh, will make of you, Abraham, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So now God says to Isaiah, after Israel comes back together, all of Israel will be a blessing to all of the entire world, to everybody. The real job for the nation of Israel will not be cleaning up after the Assyrians and the Persians and the rest of their enemies, but will be bringing light to a dark world. And this, dear ones, is where the church comes in. What? Isn't it interesting whom God chooses to do his will, to lead his people? Look at Jacob. What a lying, cheating rascal he was. Not a nice person at all. Look at David, an adulterer and a murderer. Look at the disciples, 12 selfish, thick-headed, two-faced men. And look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, a poor peasant girl. And yet God chose them to deliver his message of hope and love and joy and peace to the world. Who are we? We're, we're just some nice people trying to get along in the world. And yet we too have been chosen to be God's servants, to bring light to the world, to be blessings to everybody in the whole wide world. We say, look, God, it's a mess we're in now. We're doing all we can, and it seems the world just keeps getting worse. The church is dying. We disparage our brothers and sisters, and many of our brothers and sisters being persecuted, even martyred for the faith. And God says, right, but that's not the big picture. The church will be restored. I have sworn that in and through my word, Jesus Christ. But you have a bigger job to do. A bigger job? What could be bigger? Dear ones, we are to remain faithful and we are to shine. We are to be beacons of hope in a dark and hope-sapping world. Now, this seems like a daunting task. How are we going to do this? Well, we are luckier than Isaiah was. We have Jesus. Jesus was the ideal. He is our role model. We know from Jesus what and how we are to be lights in the world, and it's really easy. All we have to do is to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our might, and with every fiber of our being. And we have to love our neighbors, all of our neighbors, 
as we love ourselves. In the midst of darkness and despair, division and derision, we, the church, we are sources of strength and courage. We too were chosen since before we were born, named and claimed to be God's servants. And when we suffer, God suffers too. And when we suffer, God reminds us of who we are and whose we are. We are the chosen children of God, picked by the hand of God to shine the light of the world in all the dark places. So buck up, little buckaroos. Shine on. Let us pray. Holy Lord God, sometimes we just don't want to shine. We just want to pull the covers over our heads and sleep through life. So shake us awake. Remind us who we are. Remind us again who you are. You are the source of our life, our strength, and our Redeemer. Lead us to lead the church, to be flashlights shining your way to your truth and your life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.